0: Well, good evening. How are we doing? Making it? I got some cheers for Fresno. I didn't think I was going to get that out of a Bakersfield crowd. For some of you, so thank you, the Tascadero as well. So I don't know if I got them all. Uh, but I'm, as Byron said, I'm excited to be here. In fact, I had a daughter that was here two weeks ago in camp. Uh, this is a special place for me. Uh, how many of you, by the way, this is like camp? Is this is your first camp experience? I'm just curious. Okay, wonderful. How many of you like your seasoned veterans and you've you've been around the block maybe once or twice here? Good. Well, I don't know where you came from, uh, what, what life has been like, what this Friday has been like for you, um, but I am thrilled that you guys are here and really excited to get to spend the week with you guys. So, And we're going to talk about what you see behind me. We're going to talk about this concept of 100%. Um, what does it mean to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all our strength? As you guys think about maybe the, the worlds that you live in, many of you guys are Uh, Your jocks maybe like I was growing up. How many of you like athletics is your thing? Uh, You know what it means to give 100%, right? We watched the the Slackline video maybe growing up a little bit. Like, you know, look, if you want to compete at a certain level, you've got to give 100%. You're going to have to be there early. You're going to have to stay late. Many of you musicians in here, band or orchestra or choir, uh, I mean, you know if you're going to be great at your discipline. Well, you're going to have to practice. You're going to have to do it after school. You're going to have to do it outside of school hours. For those of us that are maybe in drama, whatever aspect of life it is, we understand in in a physical world what it means to give 100%. But I want to maybe suggest the fact that what we're talking about in the spiritual realm looks a little bit different. Uh, And I want to ask the question and hopefully in our time together this weekend answer, what does that look like with God? Does it mean that we just try harder? Does it mean that we wake up earlier? Does it mean that we put in more effort? Is that what it means to love God to 100%? In our time over these next six sessions that we will spend together, that really is my heart that we would unpack that. And tonight what I want to do is just define it. And I don't want to define it. Jesus actually defined it for us. So if you have your Bible with you, and I hope that you do, I want to turn together to Mark chapter 12. Uh, every session, we're just going to kind of get in this rhythm of, of getting in the Word of God together. I firmly believe that God's Word, through God's Spirit, uh, in the midst of community, changes lives. So we're going to see uh, and spend a lot of time together in the Word of God. But I really want to ask and answer very practically, how do we do that with Jesus? How do we give 100%? And I think Jesus demonstrated for that. In his time here on earth, he, he walked the earth, and he demonstrated what it, at least look like for him to give God 100%, and he's going to answer, in a sense, that core issue for us. What does that look like? But I think in a lot of ways for many of us, loving God in the way that we're maybe used to loving other things is very counterintuitive, and Jesus is going to push on that a little bit. It's almost like kind of trying to sleep standing up. I don't know if you've ever tried to do that, if you've ever been that tired, but it just doesn't work, and a lot of the habits maybe that we bring into the Christian life don't work in that regard either. Uh, As you turn now to Mark chapter 12, I want to just kind of get us up to speed. We're going to look specifically at verses 28 through 34, Uh, but to kind of move along in the text and get you up to speed, Jesus has basically been having a discourse with the religious leaders of his day. Uh, They're maybe pastors if you were to think about that 2,000 years ago. If you look back at verse 13, there's two individuals or two groups of people that are mentioned, one called the Pharisees, the other the Herodians. If you skip down to verse 18, there's a group of people known as the Sadducees, another group of Jesus' day. And then in verse 28, there's another guy described as a scribe. Four different religious groups that existed in Jesus' day. And here's basically what you need to know about them. These guys couldn't get along on anything. Four different groups of people in Jesus' day, and the only thing that they agreed about is that Jesus was the problem. This guy, they basically believe that Jesus was their common enemy. Uh, These these biblical kind of uh, scholars of the day, whether you were uh, a Pharisee or a Sadducee, whatever it was, their, their common enemy was certainly Jesus. Though they very theologically varied on what they held to, Jesus certainly was the guy that was their issue. And in verse 24, as we lead in, Jesus basically has been railing on this group of people. He just got through saying to them, you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. Now to a religious leader, that was most certainly offensive. He says, everything that you know about God, everything that you've been teaching others about God, y'all are flat out wrong. And Jesus is going to say, I'm going I'm to flip this whole thing upside down, and I'm going to redefine for you what it is God wants. What does it mean to love God at 100% really is the question that he was answering in his day, and it's one that we will answer again tonight. So starting here in verse 28, I want you to read it with me. As we move into the story, that's the setting. Jesus is railing on these Uh, religious leaders of the day, and now they've sent in basically their closer. They brought in the guy that they think is going to now box Jesus into a corner. Verse 28, one of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well, and he asked him, what commandment is foremost of all? Is is this guy on the sidelines and he's watching this debate go down? He comes now to Jesus and says, what's the foremost commandment? What's the greatest? What's the most important? Of all the 613 commands that you would find in the Old Testament, 365 negative ones, 248 positive things, do this, don't do this. Of all of those, this scribe, this, this lawyer, this basically the expert in the Bible, asked Jesus, what's the most important? Boil it down for me. It's a fairly important question, yes? Of all the things that God asked of us to do as his people, what is the most important? And Jesus says... I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 29. Jesus answered, the foremost is, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these.'" Jesus quotes here two very popular passages from the Old Testament. You guys familiar with spark notes or cliff notes? If you were to take the spark notes of the Old Testament, Jesus just quoted them. Love God and love others. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus 19. It's a summary of all 613 commandments. In fact, to a Jew, it was familiar to them as maybe our ABCs. They knew it. They studied it. It was very, very familiar. And it embodied how to love God. What we're going to do tonight is focused on what Jesus calls the foremost or the most important commandment, loving God. And then on Monday, we'll save kind of to our last session together, we're going to look at what it means to love others. But Jesus says here, this is the most important. If I was to boil it down to these things, this, this, this simple thing, this, this most important thing, it's to love God in this way. And he says, by the way, in verse 30, you see four aspects that he mentions. To love God fully, to give God 100% is to love him with our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Now, Jesus isn't just saying, I want you to love God a lot. He's not just saying you should, you should give him 100%. He's actually going far more nuanced than that. I want you to think about the four words that he uses, um, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and your strength is you think about maybe these like a, like a, a waterline, right? The things that we can see above the waterline are generally speaking are our mind and our heart, right? I'm kind of an intellectual guy. I like studying the Bible. I went to seminary to do these things. Loving God with my mind is kind of external and easier for me to do. To love God with my strength. These are things that maybe people can see and witness or the external things around us. But to love God with your heart, to love God with your soul, that's, that's kind of below the waterline. The Things that are maybe more difficult. And Jesus is saying, in a sense, it's not just about loving me a lot, it's about loving me with every aspect of your being, the things that people can see and the things that people can't see. And many of us, if you're like me, struggle to love God maybe more in one quadrant or one area of your life, right? Uh, A number of years ago, I really got a word picture of this. My wife had asked me to cook the Thanksgiving turkey, never done this before. I'm like, well, how hard can it be, right? It's a turkey, you put it in the oven, like, it can't be that difficult, honey, she needed space in the oven, and I'm like, I'll take it. I'll put it on the barbecue, right? I'd never done it before, but I was going to try something never before. So she kind of prepped it, got it all ready for me. We took the turkey out of the freezer the night before, put it in the refrigerator, and I throw it on the, the barbecue grill. She tells me kind of what it's supposed to look like as it gets finished, and I'm like, okay, great. I, I, I've got this. So I throw the turkey on the barbecue grill. Uh, I start looking at it, and I'm watching it, and she's gonna, she says, it's going to take like six hours to cook this turkey. I'm like, okay, great. Well, after two hours, I kind of unwrap it on the, on the barbecue grill, and I look at it, It's golden brown, like Martha Stewart would have been proud of the turkey that I had made at this point. It looked perfect. So I bring it inside, I look at it, and I'm like, babe, look, it cooked in two hours, and we still have like three more hours to eat. Well, she took a meat thermometer, and she stuck the meat thermometer in the turkey. The outside looked incredible, but the inside was actually still frozen. In a lot of ways, that's a picture of how the spiritual life works for so many of us. We concentrate and focus on the the external things when the heart and the soul and the things underneath are actually frozen. And it's not until we have the right tool to correctly measure our spiritual lives that we begin to understand what it is that Jesus is asking. And to make things even worse, if you think about it, the church is the worst historically about doing things just like that, about focusing on the externals. What we have unfortunately done in groups just like this is focused on kind of behavior modification. You need to look and act like a Christian, but without the heart. Hey, don't have sex before you get married. Hey, you should read your Bible every day, right? Those are great things. I'm a a big fan, right? I'm raising teenagers as well. I'm a big fan of all of those things. However, if you do those things devoid of a heart, it never works because it's simply behavior modification. And what ends up happening in our lives, if we're all about the externals, without a, an integrated spirituality where if we're not loving God with our, our heart and our soul as well, we end up exhausted. We're like hamsters running on a wheel where you're, you're running and you're exhausted and you're, you're trying so hard, but you're not actually getting anywhere in your life. It's behavior modification versus transformation, and it simply doesn't work. And what Jesus is trying to redefine for all of us is, then what does that look like? How do we love God with our entire being? How do we love God in a way That honors him well it begins here as we've already read here in verse 29 he says number one you need to hear something he quotes again from the 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 passage in deuteronomy 6 that's known as the shema the first word in the hebrew is the word shema and it's important that jesus is quoting this because shema means to listen but it also means to obey in fact in the hebrew there is no difference in the two To listen, assumed obedience. And Jesus is saying to them, you need to understand when you're listening to my words and when I'm interacting with you, it's not just enough to pay attention. I want you to act on these things. And it's assumed that that's exactly what's going to take place. So Jesus begins this discourse with saying, I want you to hear, but I want you to hear with the lens of obedience. I want you to hear with the lens of acting this out in a certain way, not just to simply listen. As we continue then in verse 30, he says, I want you to love the Lord your God. That love, that word love, just like in our language, has many, many different meanings in the Hebrew text as well. Like, I love my wife. I love chocolate chip cookies. I love riding my mountain bike. uh, But I love all of those differently, right? At least my wife hopes that I don't love chocolate chip cookies as much as her, uh, right? That, That would be the goal. They're not all the same. Well, the same is the idea here, right? We can love things differently. Well, that word is used to describe all of those loves, but this love that Jesus is talking about is much more significant. His love, or God's love for us, actually moves him to action. I want you to listen to this quote from Deuteronomy about what love does in a right sense. It says, "'The Lord did not set his love on you, "'nor choose you, "'because you were more in number than all his peoples. "'For you were the fewest of the peoples.' But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out of uh, Egypt with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery. God is saying, my love for you is is actionable. It's not just a feeling. It actually does something. Uh, Love always leads to action as we read the Old Testament scriptures. God says again in Deuteronomy, because he loved your fathers, he personally brought you from the land of Egypt with a great power. Love shows up in our lives. How many of you have pets at home? How many of you, it's your responsibility to take care of said pet? Now, if I asked you, how many keep your hands up, how many of you that have pets at home love your pets at home? I would say to you, prove it. How would you, how would you prove to me that you actually love your pet? What would you tell me? Talk to me. I feed it. I water it. It's not a plant. <laughs> I give it water, but that's God with you. You take care of it. How do you take care of it? Take it for a potty break. You take it for walks, right? That's the idea. Love should show up in our lives. That's exactly the concept of what, what Jesus is talking about here, right? Absolutely. And you can love on your pet as well. It absolutely should be the case, right? And this is the idea of what Jesus is saying. If you told me, I love my pet, but I don't do any of these things. I don't care for it. I don't feed him. I don't water it. I just learned that you water a pet. uh, Then That's not very helpful. That's not true love. Love should do something. So as as Jesus begins now to define this, it begins here. Our love for him should be actionable and it should show up in our lives. And I want you to notice where Jesus begins. If the order of what his words are saying are important. In verse 30, he doesn't begin above the water line. He actually begins below. I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart. Now this is important to understand what this word meant, both in Jesus' time, but the words that it came from are from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament times, the heart was far more than we think about it. As we think about a heart, it's this organ in our chest, which it was for the Jewish people as well, but it's much more significant than that. It actually had a a multifaceted understanding. It wasn't just this organ, but it was also the place that you thought from. In Hebrew, there's no word for brain. They don't have one. So to talk about thinking or your place where you did intellectual activity, you actually did that from the heart. You understand from your heart. You would know things from your heart. Uh, the book of Proverbs says that wisdom resides in the heart. So it's where you think as well as where you feel, both kind of above and below the waterline, so to speak. So it's not just an organ, it's not just a place that you think through, but it's also the place where you would show emotion, right? As we think about being a, a heartbroken or something like that, that same concept would have been true for them as well. But it was also the place where you made choices where your heart uh, is, your affections are centered. Uh, The center of all parts of human existence really reside, in a sense, in the heart. So the heart, as Jesus is talking about it, is the seat of all of our thoughts, all of our emotions, all of our affections, our wills, and our desires. So Jesus is saying, as you think about loving God, as you think about loving me, I'm calling you to love God with every aspect of your heart, your thoughts, your emotions, your wills, and your affections but it goes beyond that. He says, I want you to love me with all my soul or with all your soul as well. Our soul, as you know, is the part of us that is eternal, the thing that will last forever, the thing that gives us our identity and our uniqueness, our divine source of appetite as it's mentioned in the Old Testament. So Jesus goes on not to say just your heart, but your soul as well, means to love God with your entire physical existence, to offer your entire being to him, both your strengths and the things that you're good at, but also your weaknesses as well, your brokenness, the things that you find shortcomings in, to love God with all of that. So that's the heart and soul. Those are the things kind of below the waterline where Jesus starts. And I think he's intentional about why he starts there because it's the insides that ultimately are gonna cook the outside so that we don't end up with frozen turkey, so to speak, that look great on the outside, but the inside is frozen. Jesus is inviting us into a journey that begins on the inside with our heart and with our soul but that ends in verse 30 with our mind and our strength, or maybe continues to as a better way to look at it. Jesus uses the word mind and strength basically to unpack one word that was in the original Hebrew. It's the word miyod, if you, if you are concerned about the Hebrew. It's used over 300 times in your Old Testament. And the odd part about it is it doesn't mean strength, although it's translated strength in our Bibles. It really means like the word very or much. It's kind of an odd word. If you guys are uh, familiar with with English? I was horrible at English in school. It's an adverb. It's a word that actually comes alongside another word to amplify its meaning. That same word is used in Genesis one thirty one when God said He created the world in six days. To, it was good, but on the seventh day He said it was very good or meowed good. It's used to amplify God's goodness or Him speaking of how great that event actually was. So it doesn't mean strength so much like in, in muscle power, maybe the way that we would think of it. It has the idea of loving God with very or loving God with much. Uh, Jesus is calling then with this word for us to obey or to consider this as an act of, of obedience, to love God with all of, all of our being, right? With, with, with our very maybe would be the way to say it. So he's calling us as we think through all of this to love God with our heart, our thoughts, our will, our affections, and our choices, our soul, our total being, everything that we are, as well as our mind and our strength, the things that are above the waterline with all that we have. I know that may sound funny to you, but the meaning is clear that we're to love God to max capacity, to a, a hundred percent, to love God with everything that we have, our effort, our energy, our intentions, devoting every possibility, every opportunity and capacity to love God in that in that way. That's Jesus' definition. It's total, it's not minor. It's, it's challenging. It's maybe in a lot of ways for us redefining. And as he's having now this back and forth as we're in this context with this scribe, I want you to look at verse 32 and see the scribe's response. Again, this expert in the law, this lawyer in the Bible, this is what he says to him. The scribe said to him in verse 32, right teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there is no one else beside him and to love him with all of our heart and with all our understanding, with all of our strength, And to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now remember, Jesus had just got through saying to these people, y'all don't understand a lick of what you're saying. You don't understand the scriptures or the power of God. And this, this scribe makes a very profound statement. And he says, maybe what God wants isn't for me to go through all the religious externals, to do all these things that make me look spiritual, to bring my Bible to church, to answer all the questions in my small group correctly, to fake it on the outside so that God will be impressed with me while my inside is a frozen turkey. Maybe what God actually wants is for me to offer all of myself to him. Instead of offering, which in the Old Testament, maybe the religious activities would have been sacrifices and offerings. That was their external thing. We'll talk more about that tomorrow. Jesus says, that's not what I want. And the scribe says, I, I think you're actually right, which, shockingly, that Jesus is right in this. He says, that's, that's not the heart of God. He says, what, what God wants is a person wholly committed to him, wholly committed from the inside out. And in verse 34, I want you to notice Jesus' response to this man. When Jesus saw that he had answered him intelligently, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. Pretty significant that Jesus actually agrees with this guy. And he says, you're on to something. Because that's exactly the heart of God in this matter. He is not as concerned with your external religious behavior as he is with your heart and your soul and where those things stem from. And if your insides don't first get transformed, if they are not the things being impacted by the word of God and the very son of God, then the external things that flow from it are gonna be completely disconnected. They're gonna be fake and they're gonna be non-lasting. As we think about this and maybe kind of land uh, the plane on our time this evening, I wanna make just a couple observations as I think about the significance of this. Friends, the reality of this is this is hard. God is not saying, hey, I want some of you. I'll take a little bit of you after you've done school, and after you've done homework, and in sports, and whatever is left in your day, I'll I'll kind of take the leftover portions of your life. God says, no, I want 100% of you. I want all of you. I want to be invited into every aspect of your life, whether that's at school, whether that's at home. I want to be invited into your social media world. Everything that you're about, I want to be about. In fact, in Exodus chapter 34, in the commandments given to the Israelites. It says, do not worship any other God for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Have you ever thought about God describing himself as jealous and why he would do that? I am jealous for my wife's affections. I'm not jealous of her. I am jealous for her. I will not share her with anybody because I am jealous for my wife. She is mine and she is mine alone. And in the same way, that's what God is saying. You are mine and I am yours I will not share your affections with anyone else. They all are due to me, because I am the Lord your God. I am one. I'm the only one worthy in your life of this amount of devotion, this amount of sacrifice, this amount of obedience. So as we think about that, for a lot of us, and for me included, this is going to cause us to maybe redefine our definition of loving God and to recalibrate our lives to this truth. For a lot of us, if we're honest, that may mean saying, listen, Lord, maybe I've spent a lot of time loving things that I shouldn't be loving, things that are idols in my life, things that I'm giving more time to, whether that's physical time or attention mentally, or I'm giving my heart over to these things, men and women's approval in my life, this guy, this girl, this grade, this college, this career path or these are the things that I want to see in my life. I want to be in this this stratosphere whatever it may be. I find myself yearning for those things and God says, "I'm not going to share those things." And you may need to relinquish some of those and say, "Lord, what is it that you want for my life? What are my desires and my hopes? And can I hand those over to you?" And as we this week together define what it is to love God at that depth. It may require that for all of us. And I think what's going to drive a lot of this for for, for you and I, is understanding his unconditional love for us, and that need will be met through him. And if we understand that we are rooted in his love, that he loved us long before we ever loved him, that he gave himself on a cross for us years ago, and we'll talk more about that this entire week, that God demonstrated his love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ laid down his life for us. We were loved by him unconditionally. And if we begin to understand that our identity and our self-worth actually are from him, that we are his, the world doesn't define those things, then maybe, just maybe, we can begin to lean into this idea. So as we begin this week together, I want to invite you into something, maybe that you've never experienced before, maybe that's uncomfortable, maybe that's different. I want to invite you into this type of spiritual life, an integrated spiritual life, where we love the Lord our God with all of our mind and all of our strength but also with our heart and our soul and he gets our entire being that we're going to commit maybe this weekend together to not be believers that are faking it on the outside impressing our friends that are going through all the religious externals because those are ultimately empty but would we be willing to be honest about maybe where we're at right now and how we're loving god or maybe how ways that we're, we're not actually doing that and to give our lives over ultimately to him so that we don't look, again, like frozen turkeys that look great on the outside, but when our insides are rotten. God is inviting you, and he's inviting me, to love him with a heart that is fully his, a soul that is yielded to God and submitted to his will, a mind that is shaped by his word, a strength fully available to walk out the Christian life through the Holy Spirit, not because of duty, but because of delight. Could we, together this weekend, investigate what it looks like for us to love the Lord our God, With all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind and all of our strength would you commit to do that with me let's pray father thank you for your word and thank you god for jesus's example in this father i pray for all of us on this journey this weekend as we really begin to rethink and maybe even redefine what it is to love you there's so many things in this world god that are begging for our affections that are begging for our attention that want us to love them, to give us, uh, give them our time, our energy, our, our hearts, our, our money, all of these different things. And what, God, you are saying is you are the only being in this world that has ever existed that is worthy of that type of love, that type of admiration, because you are a good and holy and wonderful God. Fathers, we experience that this weekend. As we sing to you, as we talk about you, as we discuss things about who you are in our or So What time together, Father, would we lean into that? Would you help us to, to maybe let go of things in our lives that are inhibiting that? And would you draw us closer to you through what your Son has done for us? Father, help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth the way you desire. Father, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.